This podcast may contain explicit language. Welcome to the Dynasty Download, the show where we prove Dynasty League fantasy is the best form there is. I'm Tom Duncan. Co-host, Ethan Hamilton. This is episode 110, our 2022 post-NFL draft reaction show. Our next show will hopefully be our annual post-draft mock draft episode to help you get ready for your dynasty drafts coming up over the summer. But first, if you'd like to contact the show or have a question for us, please write us at dynastydownload10 at gmail.com. If you'd like to be on our mailing list this year or going forward, please send us a note there. Also, you can now follow us on Twitter at dydownload2020, and you can now find every episode of the show on dynasty-download.captivate.fm. Finally, please follow, rate, and review the show so that more people can discover that Dynasty Fantasy is the best form there is. All right, with that, E, we're coming out of the draft. We're way behind everybody else. I'm sure everybody at every other show on the planet probably has like two or three different reaction shows at minimum. So we're going to do this one very posthumously. But what was the biggest surprise of the draft for you? I think it also gives us a chance to cool off on some some thoughts, not as much hot, hot take, but um, the biggest surprise. Don't you know me, this entire industry is hot takes? Hot takes, yeah, I, I understand that. Um, <laughs> the biggest surprise for me, and I'm sure we're gonna dive into it, is just trades and the amount of trades and the type of packages that people were giving up for some of the trades. I think was just really, really. I think I said it in our, in our, in our group chat. I said it, it's like a college house Madden uh, franchise going on, you know, like where you got like five or six people doing, that's exactly what it seemed like. And I think it's kind of awesome that the NFL is kind of not as conservative as it used to be. Like it's, it's not our father's NFL anymore. It's moving into a different direction. And I kind of like that. It's, more so um, player empowerment. Um, they're having way more of a say than they used to have. And also I think it's owners, especially like after what the Rams did, owners kind of realizing like, you know, windows are short. Football is also one of those games too, where like at the beginning of the year, for the most part, a majority of the league has a very good chance to win the Super Bowl. And you're like one or two people away from doing it. And um, I, I don't know, I guess for me, it's just, it was kind of cool to see the amount of all in that some of these teams were going with. Well, I mean, we saw it with one of last year's Super Bowl teams, the Bengals, you needed Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow drafted in back to back years and spent some money in free agency with a kind of already filled in roster a little bit. You have T Higgins and Joe Mixon that were kind of there as well, but that, happened in what two years and that complete team was turned around most teams think all right even at the bottom even the jets i think to a certain degree think okay we build the rest of our roster maybe next year if our quarterback hits that could be our year and i agree with you the aggressiveness of the trades the amount of trades was remarkable i think this was the most first round and second round trades in the history of the draft And I think the Rams mindset of this aggressive nature, trying to go after certain players, trade a lot of draft picks and going into get the players that you really need to get you over the hill 
has become the mantra of the rest of the NFL. And especially given our last two Super Bowl winners, everybody's in a win now mode because it's the NFL, not for long. So it is more fun. It gives us plenty of more content to talk about. To me, what was remarkable was two big things, and it's both on the offensive sides of the ball. One, the amount of receivers that went in the first two rounds and all of these trades involving receivers in some capacity or another, either trading up to get a receiver or receivers that were moved for other picks, guys trying to be filled in and what's going on with that receiver position. I know we're going to talk about it here in a little bit, but to me, the status of the wide receiver position might be the story of the off season right now. The other one to me was, even though this was a bad draft class, there still was talk about at least two quarterbacks going in the top, maybe 20 and maybe even one sneaking into the top 10. We had one quarterback drafted before the third round which was remarkable to me just for the standpoint that we commonly have three, four, five quarterbacks taken in a first round. We had that just last year. And to see them all collectively say, no, we're going to wait on quarterback. To me either says that we've gotten such parity as we talked about all of last season, where the top of the league is, you know, you start looking around at the, the depth of the great quarterbacks in the league when it's Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert or Pat Mahomes or Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Matt Stafford, just the amount of quarterbacks spread across teams is more than I think we've ever had before. It's not only to maybe a few teams and the rest of them have to figure out ways to win with like Trent Dilfer in this era of modern football. I think the quarterback position is better than it's ever been. And as a result, you don't need to take chances on these extra rookies, you can let them sit into the third, fourth round where they don't have to play right away. They can come in, sit, ride the pine, learn the position, even if they have the requisite skills, and then maybe a year or two down the road actually contribute towards a team instead of having the impression that they need to start right away because they're a first round quarterback. So to not have more than one, even selected in the second round, no less, I thought was kind of unusual in a break from what we've seen in in the NFL so far especially because there are a few teams that are very quarterback needy right now. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. You know, the traditional way of building a team was just thrown to the wayside this off season in this draft, like, right. It's you want a great offensive line. You can do anything with a great offensive line. Right. And then you want a quarterback that should be your two things, but not it's wide receivers right now. Wide receivers are going absolutely insane right now, but the the camps for football have turned into just seven on seven camps and we're seeing that now in the NFL. So I, I think this is here to stay for a while and it's, it's going to be very interesting. The amount, you know, the top talent people, they're going to two positions now, you know, maybe three if you throw cornerback in there, but they're going to wide receiver and they're going to quarterback. And we'll see that too, with this next draft class as well. I think the most athletic guys, I would agree with you there. I still think, though, that football very much boils down to a very simple concept. You have to have a good offensive line to stop their defensive line play, and you have to have a good defensive line to get after their passer and stop their rush. And so outside of quarterback, to me, the trenches is where it's always going to matter the most. And this was a draft where we had a lot of trench players that are going to go unheralded for a while. 
really were selected and that could make a real big impact on a team this year. But as we kind of well, mentioned, I'm going to cut, I'm going to cut in though real quick though. Like I guess the people that really messed up this offense or the, the off season was uh, first and foremost, obviously Christian Kirk, like, he screwed everything up. And then I think Joe Burrow and the Bengals, because I think you're absolutely right to win a Super Bowl. You need the offensive line. You need the defensive line. But the Bengals proved like to get to the Super Bowl and to have a decent shot, you don't need the best offensive line. You you need a pretty good defensive line, but you don't need the best offensive line. So I think a lot of teams saw that too, and I think a lot of that decision making went into a lot of the decisions that were made this off season. I think it's a template. I don't know how much long term success you can drive into that capability, but it needs to be said that. Cooper Cup had the best receiving season, I think, of all time, unless you maybe put Jerry Rice's one really huge year from, I think, 1995 in there. And, you know, he was on one side of the football. You had T. Higgins and Jamar Chase on the other as productive wide receivers and potential stars. And then the year before, you had Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey versus Mike Evans and Chris Godwin on the other side. And it's really been a matter of you have to get receiving options that are dynamic and able to get free in order to win football games. So it's not just quarterbacks. You also have to be productive at those positions, at least what we've seen over the last two years. And I think that's what teams are trying to replicate as much as anything, but granted Kansas city lost a super bowl because they had a terrible offensive line going against a great defensive line. And Tampa Bay also won because they had a great offensive line. So I think that you need to build multiple levels of your team. We just haven't seen over the last couple of years, a team with kind of journeyman wide receivers really get to the promised land or get even to the Super Bowl, let alone a championship. So with that, we will transition to talking about the aforementioned wide receivers. And the first thing up on my list is probably I would say the biggest surprise trade of the draft for me. And that was AJ Brown to the Eagles. That was a real wow moment for me. Yeah. I didn't, I guess I didn't realize it was going getting that bad in Tennessee with AJ Brown. I, I kind of just downplayed it. Cause I just didn't feel like that was something that was actually going to happen. So um, honestly, I'm with you there. That was kind of the biggest surprise for me too. Well, he has the same agent, I think, as Debo Samuel. And while Debo Samuel seems like he's going to be ending up staying in San Francisco and that, I don't know, relationship is kind of repairing itself, I'm really not sure what happened to make them pull the trigger other than they just didn't want to unload a bunch of money on A.J. Brown. And we've seen that now, this is the third time, at least this offseason, that we had Devontae Adams got traded, even though Green Bay said they would have matched his money. Tyreek Hill got traded because the Kansas City Chiefs didn't want to come up to his number and Tennessee didn't want to come up to A.J. Brown's number. So new teams willing to give them the money where they have rookie quarterbacks on very you know, reasonable deals as opposed to that can give the money to the wide receivers and you know they have those playmakers to allow their quarterbacks a little bit more dynamic playmaking uh, around them. So the question then becomes, what is A.J. Brown in the Eagles offense right now with Jalen Hurts still as the quarterback? Yeah, that's a very, 
very good and a very, very tough question. I am all in on Jalen Hurts, the fantasy asset, because of what his legs bring to his game. Absolutely. Still very questionable as a passer, but I like the potential. So I don't know. I, I think it's going to be frustrating because also, you know, you your quarterback, too, with Tennessee was Ryan Tannehill. But he wasn't the greatest in the world, but he also wasn't the worst. I think the consistency of Jalen Hurts is going to be um, what you're most worried about as an A.J. Brown owner. I know there are a lot of people projecting him to decline in overall value. I don't know if I would go quite that far, given that the Eagles have probably more playmakers around him that he can't necessarily draw the entire eye of Sauron, as I'll I'll refer to it here. But that being said, there's nobody like Derrick Henry on that team. And I would agree with you. I think Ryan Tannehill has a better arm and more experience than Jalen Hurts, even though he has improved. He's still not to the level of a journeyman quarterback who's at least marginally average at throwing the football. I mean, we saw in the playoff game against the Buccaneers this last postseason that they basically just dared him to try and throw to beat them, and he couldn't do it. So even with an A.J. Brown, I don't know how much of that changes. To me, though, what it says, I don't even know if, I mean, you've got Dallas Goddard, who I think a lot of people project as a top 10 tight end. I don't know if he's in the top five. I would probably say not. He's probably about six or seven in most people's rankings, maybe eight. But you've also got Devontae Smith, who you took in the first round this last year. You have Jalen Rager, who you took in the first round the year before. How many mouths can you honestly feed while still featuring Jalen Hurts as a running quarterback? Yeah, I mean, it's a very difficult question. That'll be really one to watch because, yeah, that offense, that Eagles offense has a lot of talent around. And they're kind of like putting all their chips in on the table and Jalen Hurts and being like, all right, you got your rookie contract to kind of prove something to us. And I think he's kind of got till the end of this year because with that, with that quarterback class, this upcoming year, like I can see them moving on. So I like Jalen Hurts. I really hope he does have a very good year, but it's very tough for me to believe in, in his arm. It's just tough. I know a lot of people are talking about the quarterback class for next year as being a premium outside of the two primary quarterbacks are Heisman winner, Bryce Young and CJ Stroud at Ohio state. Who else is in this quarterback class that I guess you're going to get if you try and really make the playoffs and you're not like winning only two, maybe three games in order to get the first or the second pick? Because I can almost guarantee you those guys, if they sat out the entire year, would probably go one and two. If that's not going to be the case and you're not uh, the Texans, okay, which I would assume are going to finish near the bottom of of the NFL again this year. They don't have like a great or quarterback talent in Davis Mills that we can see for right now in order to compete. But if you're the Eagles and you win, let's say you go eight and nine, is that enough to get somebody in the middle of the first round? I mean, is there another guy that's available that's going to fall into your lap in that kind of mid-tier rounds? Because what we're talking about is they'd be in range for somebody like Mac Jones that was last year. If that's truly a deep quarterback class, 
that's the kind of level that we're talking about. And I just don't know if that's going to get them over the hump, even with those receivers and quote unquote weapons around, you know, whichever quarterback you have going into 2023 with that Eagles team. They just, they have a lot of decisions that they have to make. I mean, there's always people that pop up. There's always people that you don't expect all of that. I I agree. You know, the top two, you're going to have to have a pretty terrible year. You're going to have to trade a lot of freaking shit to get those top two quarterbacks. But you, you got to agree with me too. You know, like Jalen hurts. I feel, especially with the Philadelphia Eagles and the Philadelphia fan base, that is not, somebody that is patient for very long they will move on they will move on yes nothing lasts forever and especially in philadelphia so let's go to the other big wide receiver trade of the first round and that would be hollywood brown going to the cardinals from the ravens you know as a hollywood brown owner now (laughs) um no i feel like this is a really really good move for him especially now with Nuke Hopkins being out for six games, right? Is it eight? I think so with the PED suspension. It's six? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, already having a rapport with Kyler Murray, with playing with him in college and everything like that, too. I I think this is the best move, I guess, for Hollywood at this particular time. You know, still very young. I think he's 24. I think it's a good move for him. Yes, it is six. I just looked it up here. I don't know. I mean, with Christian Kirk moving on, they're not re-signing AJ Green. DeAndre Hopkins is going to be out. You have Zach Ertz on the team. You just drafted another tight end. The Cardinals as a team had all these receiving options last year that just are not going to be there this year. Unless you're going to count, who was the gadget player from Purdue that they drafted? That's That was Rondell Moore. Yes, thank you. Unless you're counting on Rondale Moore to somehow be more than a slot receiver and a gadget guy, I just don't know what this team is offering right now. And there is a prior connection because Kyler Murray and Hollywood Brown played together at Oklahoma. So you would think to a certain degree that they should have instant chemistry again. It's just a matter of, okay, what are we going to see coming out the first few weeks. I mean, Heather Murray lights it up on fire for about the first five weeks of the season and then slowly starts to fade week by week by week after that, as he gets beat up during the course of the year. I don't know. Are you drafting Hollywood Brown basically as a potential trade piece when Kyler Murray starts to fall off later in the year or uh, about the point where DeAndre Hopkins is going to come back? I just don't know what his status is going to be until I really see him in this offense that I still don't like Cliff Kingsbury's offense. Let's just say that. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to be like, he's not going to go through a whole Arizona Cardinal rant without mentioning Cliff Kingsbury. It's just not Tom. Um, I don't think Hollywood Brown is going to be like a consistent wide receiver one, but to, to, for the expectation to him, for him to be in the top 20, the top 24, I think that's, I think that's reasonable. Remains to be seen. I think he's more like maybe in those first six weeks, I would agree with you after that, when he's going to start trying to force feed Nuke back into the offense, I think it's more likely that he falls into a wide receiver three category, but I I just don't think much of the Cardinals team right now, especially with how they finished last year. I wonder where, do you know off the top of your head where he finished this past year? 
I think he was in the rough wide receiver one category. He might've been around somewhere between eight and 15. And so that's without, you know, um, Lamar Jackson too, for a decent part of the year. Well, he had a really big start to the year and he had some very big games early on, but also because he kind of works really well in a run first team that Cliff Kingsbury is not running. He's running a run and gun type of offense. So if he's got to be a primary receiver in all of that, maybe they'll work him out at doing a bunch of bubble screens and short crosses and other things that he did at Oklahoma. But I don't know. I, it, again, I want to see it on the field. He was at 21. Oh, okay. He was that low. All right. I thought he was higher than that. I mean, there was a time last year about eight weeks in where he was in that wide receiver one conversation. In our league, he's sandwiched between DJ Moore and Jalen Waddle. Boy, that seems like a drop-off point. Michael Pittman was above him as well. But I think he was hurt too, DJ. Or no, not DJ. um, Hollywood for a couple games. Looks like two. Yeah, I think he missed a couple. You might be wrong. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of, that's surprising for me too, I guess. I thought he was higher than that. So there were six wide receivers taken in round one. Drake London to Atlanta, Garrett Wilson to the Jets, Chris Olave to New Orleans, Traylon Burks to Tennessee to replace the aforementioned A.J. Brown, Jamison Williams to Detroit, Jahan Dotson to Washington, and seven in round two with Christian Watson to Green Bay, Sky Moore to Kansas City, John Mechie to Houston, Wandale Robinson to the New York Giants, Tyquan Thornton to the Patriots, and Alec Pierce to Indianapolis. I, I almost forgot George Pickens to Pittsburgh. Which of these do you think was the best value pick in the class? It's really tough. Um, I've said before, I don't really think the, the tiers are all that far away here, so Taking a shot at the on the dark, I might say Sky Sky Moore to Kansas City. I like that one a lot. I'm on the side where I like George Pickens to Pittsburgh. I feel like there's only two options with George Pickens. He's going to be an all pro or he is going to be out of the NFL. I think that is kind of it. Well, I was going to say, usually the going rule of thumb is if you'd like a wide receiver product or project and they go to Pittsburgh, they usually turn out well. They usually and so it do validates well. your whole judgment on the player. Yeah. I like Dotson, but I don't really like Washington as the landing spot. So I guess the one I like the most, see, and I felt this way on draft day too. I told you, like, I didn't, I didn't really like this draft all that much. I'm going to go Alave to the Saints, but I don't feel great about it. Well, given the amount of, picks and other things that they had to give up, even though I think Olave and Jamison Williams are two of the more talented guys in the draft. I think that they're not the best value just by sake of what was given up to, to acquire them. Drake London is the most likely to have an impact right away in his first season, just due to the situation going on with the Falcons right now and the offense he'd be fitting in because it's really him and Kyle Pitts. Otherwise after him, it's, Olamide Zacchaeus. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what's on the team right now. So he's going to come in and he's going to get a ton of targets. The question is, is how productive can he be? And I do liken him to kind of an Allen Robinson type. And so I do think he can be productive. 
I don't think any of these guys is going to come in and have Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase numbers. I mean, those were historic. And to try and expect that again is probably not going to happen anytime soon. But I'll probably end up eating my word sooner than later with somebody. I would probably say Sky Moore makes the most sense as far as value. I really do like Christian Watson to the Packers. He was a guy I, I had my eye on early in our uh, pre-rankings. I liked Alec Pierce to Indianapolis because they've lost several guys out of their wide receiver core. And I thought he was a great wide receiver. He's not going very far from Cincinnati to Indianapolis. So the, the move is not very far, but I guess if I were to say value pick, it's probably Sky Moore. Just given where Kansas City was, the need that they had in order to get somebody, I do find it weird that everybody is concentrating on the fact that the Packers won't take a first-round wide receiver, but Kansas City didn't take one either, and nobody is complaining about them. Well, you can't complain about them. That's not how life works. I don't know. As a (laughs) Packers fan, it doesn't feel fair, but who cares? Apparently me but whatever (laughs) we've talked already about wide receivers contracts going up and we've seen a lot of big name receivers getting moved instead of teams paying up. As I mentioned before, where do you currently see the status of the wide receiver position league wide, especially considering that several teams were very aggressive in moving capital to get these rookie wide receivers. I think this is the norm. Now the wide receivers are a very, very important part of every single offense, the way the game is played right now. So I I think it's the norm whether teams will pay their wide receivers is yet to be seen, but we know that somebody will. So I think it's, I think these first couple of years are going to be a little chaotic. And so it'll be kind of fun to watch. Well, we do know that the cap is going to go significantly up, I think next year. But to me right now, there's only one pairing of an elite top 10 paid quarterback with a top 10 paid wide receiver, and that's Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen. Outside of that, you have a lot of great quarterbacks with a lot of mediocre wide receivers or other talent surrounding them, and you don't have a lot of top tier wide receivers married with like really expensive quarterbacks. Yeah, I think the most interesting one will be Derek Carr and Devontae Adams. I think that one might be like a fringe because I think Derek Carr has been knocking on the door for a couple of years now, and now he's got a super elite talent. So it'll be interesting to see where that combination goes. Well, I'm just saying from a monetary standpoint, you're just not seeing Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams both be the highest paid at their position on one team. And that's more of what my point was not necessarily that quarterbacks weren't paired up with elite talent. Cause then you could say Joe Burrow is a top 10 quarterback and Jamar chase is a top 10 wide receiver. That wasn't my point. It was more of, you're not seeing them both be paid on a, on the same team very often right now. The test case for me is going to be Derek Carr's on a fairly reasonable deal right now. If he gets an extension, because I think his contract only runs through this year and he becomes a top 10 paid quarterback, that'll be one of those test bubbles to see, okay, are the Raiders really investing in the long term of their team? Okay. Yeah, I hear where you're coming from. But I agree with you. I think you've been on this point for a while that it is kind of turning into seven on seven where the lines matter less and less. And as a result, cornerbacks, which we saw a few go very high, although we did see a lot of pass rushers early. I think, what was it? 
four of the top five picks were all pass rushers or something like that. And offensive line isn't as much when you can get rid of the ball quickly, or you can design plays to take away inefficiency in your offensive line, but it's wide receivers and seven in the first round. I think it was seven in the second round. That's just a lot of wide receivers on very quick, short, cheap deals that you can take advantage of much in the way that used to be one of the great advantages to have a rookie quarterback on a rookie quarterback salary. Again, one quarterback in the first two rounds, that was Kenny Pickett to the Steelers. Malik Willis went to the Titans, Desmond Ritter to the Falcons. Will any of the quarterbacks selected in this draft start this season? And do you see any having a fantasy impact in the next three years? I mean, Kenny Pickett will probably start at some point this season. Maybe Desmond Ritter may start at some point this season if things in Atlanta get that bad. Um, Fantasy relevant. (laughs) Sorry. Fantasy impact next three years. No, I really don't. I didn't like any of these guys really too much. Malik Willis was interesting. I don't really love the landing spot in Tennessee. Desmond Ritter is interesting. That's probably the one that I see the most that has some potential to do something. I don't really like Kenny Pickett all that much as a prospect. I know some people in our group chat feel a little bit different, but I I just personally do not see it. No, I really don't. And if anyone was, I think it would be Desmond Ritter. I think that it's more likely that you get a Desmond Ritter or Malik Willis coming in in like a year two situation and playing like Jalen Hurts more than you're going to get Kenny Pickett coming in and being the next Tom Brady. I don't think any of these guys is going to be fantasy relevant because of their arm. It's going to be because of their legs and it's going to be very short term. And so the investment capital that you may have to use in a dynasty rookie draft or a dynasty startup, I'm not really targeting any of these guys until probably the third or fourth round at the R list. Brees Hall went to the Jets. Ken Walker went to Seattle. I I'm not sure why it all of a sudden has now become Ken Walker instead of Kenneth Walker, but that's where I'm seeing it everywhere. And James Cook went to Buffalo all in the second round. Which of these do you think is likely to have the best rookie year this year? I feel like Brees Hall is a very, 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 very easy answer here. I know you're not a huge fan of Kenneth Walker, the prospect, and I'm not a huge fan of Kenneth Walker, the prospect either. But I think the landing spot in Seattle, like I think he's going to get a lot of opportunity. James Cook, I love as a prospect. I think he will do very interesting things in Buffalo, but it's the workload that I don't think he's going to get a lot of. And that's kind of what the NFL is moving to. I think there's going to be a lot of different people in backfields now. You kind of see what Miami did and the Ravens are doing too with their backfield. I think that's just kind of going to be the norm moving forward. But sorry, to answer your question, Brees Hall. Yeah, I think Brees Hall is the easy and obvious answer and probably the correct answer. You know how I feel about Brees Hall. If anybody in the audience is listening, find someone who talks about you the way that I talk about Brees Hall, just telling you. But... (laughs) I'm starting to come around a little bit more on Kenneth Walker. It's not reflected in my immediate post draft rankings, but I think there's a clearer path to him becoming the starter by year two than I would have necessarily predicted. Apparently Rashad Penny's only signed through this next year. 
and we don't know what Chris Carson's going to be. So if he's only the backup this year, I don't think he's going to go very highly. And I don't know if I would be targeting him in redraft, but as a situation where let's say you have a Rashad Penny and a Chris Carson or both, you know, maybe this is a guy to target a little bit later on in the first round as a depth pick to basically keep that consistency because we know Seattle wants to run. Pete Carroll has been trying to emphasize that as long as he's been there. So they're going to be a team that's going to want to run the football early, often, and always, because what else are they going to do? Let Drew Locke actually throw the football? Doesn't sound smart to me. So are there any other late round picks that got your attention or could potentially surprise fantasy owners this season? I'm going to go with Damian Pierce, the wide wide receiver, the running back out of Florida. I think he, no, I don't think. I know he landed in Houston. So the only person that he's battling carries with is Marlon Mack, who's coming off a pretty, pretty significant injury as well. So I think the opportunity is there. I like the talent. And I think um, he is going to surprise a lot of people as rookie year. So I have a couple of different running backs that were picked late that I actually think might have some decent opportunities. And one of them happens to be a guy I talked about in my top five in our pre-draft phase. That's Tyler Allgaier. He got drafted by Atlanta and we know how bad the Atlanta running back situation was last year when we had Cordero Patterson come out of nowhere because Mike Davis just really didn't have it. We had people picking, I can't remember which, I don't know, undrafted player for the, the Falcons was supposed to be like this big sleeper pick going into rookie drafts last year, but he got cut before the season even started. And they just had tons of problems trying to run the football. I think Tyler Allgaier actually is closer to what, uh, I can't remember the name of the Falcons coach, but who was the offensive coordinator for the Titans wants to do with his running back and his offense. He's kind of a hard nose between the tackles pound and ground type of runner who can get you a couple of extra yards, but he's going to be the three yards and a cloud of dust type of guy. And so with that being said, I think he's actually in a very good situation that could be beneficial to him. And if he gets opportunities, let's say a Mike Davis gets hurt. I really don't see Cordero Patterson being the every down back. We didn't even see it last year. So this could be a situation where he ends up being in the exact right position and actually contributing I think he was a third round pick, if I remember right, in order to get to that team. I think so. Another one I have on my list, I know you were not happy with the spot that he landed in, but I actually like the fit for Isaiah Spiller. I know that Austin Eckler is clearly the number one back there, and Justin Jackson has been the number two for a while. They drafted Larry Roundtree last year, so you wouldn't think that with that type of running back room that he's going to come in and get play automatically. But I do think that with Eckler being 26, the window of his career is going to be declining or shutting here in the near future. And there's got to be somebody to step in and take the void. Eventually he's the youngest of the group. We haven't seen Justin Jackson stay healthy for a year completely. Larry Roundtree's had troubles with injury or with injuries And I think that if Austin Eckler gets hurt at all again, this is the guy that's probably the most likely to step in and inherit the bulk of that opportunity with a fairly good offense, I would say right now, and a quarterback who can distribute the ball very well. So to me, 
he's not going to be the sexy pick. I'm not targeting him in the first round, but that's a guy with some potential. And then the last one, which was kind of a surprise, he was outside of our rankings. He probably went a couple of rounds before most people had him projected. But anytime a San Francisco running back gets taken, that to me starts to give alarm bells in my head. So Tyrion Davis Price out of LSU going in the third round. And I know I was the victim of Trey Sermon and his issues last year. So you can't count on necessarily drafting a San Francisco running back and it working out. But there seems to be some inklings out of the San Francisco camp right now that Elijah Mitchell may not be completely healthy. And because of that, they went out and got a guy that I think could actually end up taking over the uh, primary carries for this backfield. We know that they like to switch out a lot of running backs in this offense, but once they find a hot hand, they keep going with them. And I know they're probably not going to go away completely from Debo Samuel at running back, but it seems like it's going to be less because that seems to be the sticking point behind what his issues are with the team. So if that's the case, this is a very productive running offense. And even though it's likely that they're going to have a running quarterback with that offense this year, I still think there could be opportunities for a guy that not a lot of people are talking about yet. Those are a lot of good ones. I know uh, you're the dude in Atlanta. He's on my list for kind of sleeper picks right now too, as people that may fall through. So yeah, I agree. All right. Do you want to go to my post-draft rookie prospect rankings? Let's go to it. All right. Do you want to start with position groups or you want to go overall? Uh, Let's just do overall. All right, so I'll let you kind of step in as the host for this part of the show because it's usually the setup guy for everything I'm doing. So <laughs> should I go 10 to 1 or 1 to 10? Um, 10 to 1. Okay. So number 10, I have the guy that I was just talking about, Isaiah Spiller with the Chargers. Number 9, I have Tyler Allgaier with the Atlanta Falcons. Number 8, I have James Cook with the Buffalo Bills, partly because I think he's still a little undersized and I'm not sure how the Bills are necessarily going to use him because I think the most carries he took in college in any one game was like 12. So I don't see him as being a, an every down, three down back. But it's yet to see how he's going to be used in that team. Number seven, I have Alec Pierce with the Indianapolis Colts. I think he steps in as the immediate number two wide receiver in that offense. Number six, I have Sky Moore with the Kansas City Chiefs. Number five, I have Damian Pierce with the Houston Texans. Number four, Chris Olave with the New Orleans Saints. I think that has more to do with opportunity than anything. Number three, I have Traylon Burks with Tennessee. Number two, I have Drake London with Atlanta. And number one, you knew it before we even started this list. It was always going to be Brees Hall. You could say it's one through 10 was Brees Hall, and then we just start the rest of them at 11. (laughs) Yeah, I was kind of surprised that you started off your top 10 with three running backs with a draft that was so rich in wide receivers. I'm surprised that uh, some of those guys snuck in there for you. I didn't like the wide receiver fits nearly as much as I liked some of the running back fits. I think that the paths to them being fantasy relevant are a little bit shorter than some of these wide receivers that you're going to have to wait two, maybe three years on in order to get the return. Okay. Anything else you want from my positional rankings? Nah, I think we got it. No quarterbacks, I noticed. No quarterbacks, <laughs> no tight ends in the top 10. My number one tight end went at number 14, but there's another guy that 
well, actually there are two guys at 18 and 19 on my overall rankings list, excuse me, 17 and 18. Jelani Woods with the Indianapolis Colts. I think that sooner rather than later, he's going to be a productive wide receiver catching tight end with the Colts, and they really love their tight ends. I don't know if he's necessarily capable of doing a lot of tight end blocking, but he could be that next athletic freak that's kind of a wide receiver at tight end position guy. And then Greg Dolchich, apparently the the majority of opinions I've heard after the draft was he's the best route running and best catching tight end in the draft, and they drafted him to basically replace Noah Fant. So put him with Russell Wilson, who's always loved to throw to tight ends. He could be a guy that kind of sneaks up on people and maybe somehow cracks the top 12 at tight end this year in a draft that no one's talking about. Are you calling your shot? Sure. I'll call that one ahead of time. I will say Greg Dolchich finishes, finishes the year as a top 12 tight end. All right. Be bold. Mark it down. I'm trying to think. Where was my number one quarterback on this list? I don't even think a quarterback t- cracks the top 20. No. My first quarterback is actually Malik Willis at 21. And, again, I think it has to do more with his running than anything. Yeah. I mean – that's really what it is for me too. Why I had him above. It's not his arm. Yeah. It's his ability to run the football. All right. So any other draft reaction thoughts for right now? No, I guess, you know, like I said, then, you know, this, I'm, I'm not huge on some of the landing spots that some of these guys ended up in. Um, it's kind of weird walking away from this particular draft, not feeling that tingly feeling super excited about the next fantasy drafts coming up, but we'll see. We'll see. You're just kind of in waiting mode. Yeah. Kind of just waiting to see if these guys, I, I want to see who shows up out of these, out of this draft class. Cause I really don't know, you know, most of the time I, I can pinpoint, all right, this guy's going to be pretty good. This guy's not with a lot of these guys. It's like, he looked kind of just like the last guy that I saw. So it'll be interesting to see how the year goes. My advice to you this year would be play college fantasy because you're looking towards next year. That could be true. It's how I fell in love with Brees Hall when he got me like 77 points in a championship game. <laughs> so, all right. I am looking forward to our annual post-draft mock draft next week. We will be back. I think sometime next week, I'm not sure of an exact date or release date quite yet, but thank you to all the listeners and dynasty players out there. We appreciate you. We will be back again soon with that annual post draft mock draft, but until then, until then stay safe, everyone and happy um, spring summery weather. This has been nice today. Yeah. (laughs) A little hot, but not bad, especially compared to what we've had. If you'd like to contact the show or have a question for us, please write us at dynastydownload10 at gmail.com. You can also now follow us on Twitter at dydownload2020. Find every episode of the show at dynasty-download.captivate.fm. And as always, please follow, rate, and review the show so more people can discover that Dynasty Fantasy is the best form there is. This podcast was mixed, produced, and edited by Thomas Duncan. It is a production of Ronnie Duncan Studios. Our music is thanks to Purple Planet Music. Our technical provider and distributor is Captivate FM.